Youth work is a sacred opportunity to make a significant difference in the lives of children and youth. In the just released book, The Heartbeat of the Youth Development Field, Professional Journeys of Growth, Connection and Transformation, the authors use research and personal essays to shine a light on the intricate connections between research and practice, touching upon both the vulnerability and the triumph of youth development work. The passionate voices of youth workers in this volume lead to the inescapable conclusion that programs and policies for youth much be informed by these same voices and the values they express. Welcome to this conversation on the heartbeat of the youth development field. My name is Georgia Hall from the National Institute on Out of School Time at the Wellesley Centers for Women at Wellesley College. The heartbeat of the youth development field is the latest volume in the series, Current Issues in Out of School Time, which is published by Information Age Publishing under the direction of series editor, Dr. Helen Malone at the Institute for Educational Leadership. My guest today is Terrence Cawley. Terrence is a former teacher and principal with over 20 years of experience in the field of education and positive youth development. Mr. Cawley currently serves as a senior director in the Department of Youth, Family and Clinical Services at Better Family Life, Inc. in St. Louis. Welcome, Terrence. Good this morning. is our fourth conversation exploring the stories shared through personal essays of professionals working in the youth development and the OSC field in the book, The Heartbeat of the Youth Development Field. In their chapter titled Shifting the Paradigm, John Weiss and Tom Akiva talk about how high quality youth programs work to support youth development needs. One of those development needs is self-definition. Terence's essay articulates how opportunities for self-definition are particularly important for historically marginalized Black youth. Out-of-school time settings can provide space for this work. John and Thomas go on to explain that youth should participate in experiences that help them discover personal identities, their interests, their talents, and abilities. Terence, in your essay, you talk about growing up with your grandfather, and, and he serves as your before and after school caretaker, and how also he helped you to value self-reflection and keep African identity at the core. I wanted to ask you, can you read that first part of your essay, Knowing Who I Am? Absolutely, thank you. When it is all said and done, history will rank the jazz vocalist Gregory Porter among the top five balladeers of all time. He has many great songs, but if I had to pick one that characterizes my field of vocation, without hesitation, it would be painted on canvas. The opening stanza reads, we're like children, we're painted on canvases, picking up shades as we go. We start off with gesso, brushed on by people we know. I see youth workers as artists who encounter the blank canvases of youth hearts every day. Whether intentional or unintentional, by coincidence, incident, or accident, we contribute to the colorful canvas that indelibly saturates the hearts of our youth and ultimately frames their worldview and identities. I work in OST as the result of a journey to know, 
reconnect and understand, a desire to retell a people's story and thereby come to know my own. My work has focused on engaging Black youth in their African cultural identity and supporting them to be cognizant of racial barriers while at the same time developing racial pride. My pathway to OST, to the OST field, has been a sojourning of truth to wellness, a healing of heart, mind, and spirit. One could probably say that it started with my grandfather. According to my mother, when I was a pre-K student at the Jeff Vandaloo Child Care Center, she would drop me off in the mornings, but it was my grandfather who would often pick me up. In all likelihood, we would then go to rest peacefully under his favorite shade tree and eat brown swagger and crackers. By first grade, my grandfather, in addition to being my after-school specialist, also became my before care provider. It would be early in the morning when the sky was still dark, the kind of darkness that confuses a seven-year-old and has him wondering why he's being woken to dress for school when it's still nighttime. As a child, I hated this time of day. It meant the night was over and school was about to start. But my grandfather woke up, as he would say, before day in the morning. Depending on what time of year it is, that could be as early as 4 or 5 a.m. You could find him listening to his morning radio show and reading the newspaper while sipping black coffee, no cream, catching up on the St. Louis Cardinals baseball team, or planning his next fishing or hunting trip. What I know now that a child couldn't know then is that it is the most peaceful time of the day. One can clear one's head and have a little talk with Jesus, as he would say. I appreciated the morning before school rituals at my grandfather's house. I absolutely loved being in his presence. We didn't have to be doing anything at all. Just sitting with him daydreaming or listening to him drop nuggets of African cultural wisdom through one of his colorful stories. Moments of perfect peace that brought a luminous insight from self-reflection. If I bring anything at all to my profession and work with, with youth in OST settings, it is my grandfather's gentle, patient, loving, listening ear and desire to hold African identity at the center of Black youth's lives and learning. Those qualities in him were admired and respected by all who knew him, and I admired how others sought him out for counseling and advice. I have no doubt that the success I have had with the youth and families I have encountered in OST over the years is because of his guidance. Youth thrive in space where they are engaged, loved, appreciated, and feel a sense of identity. Ultimately, it is the identity that matters most in the work that I do. Without even being aware of it, this concept of keeping African identity at the core was what I lived out with my grandfather. It would subsequently become the bedrock of my work and my focal point for engaging youth in their own self-discovery and life journey. Thank <laughs> you, Terrence, for sharing that part of your essay. Thank you. And um, it's a powerful story that you talk about in growing up with that experience with your grandfather and, mm -hmm. and how his keeping African identity at the core has become part of your work and your strategy in working with OST youth. In the rest of your essay, you talk a little bit about how as a young child growing up, you experienced wishing 
you had lighter skin and straight hair. And I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that experience and what, you know, what, what that brought you to in terms of your understanding and interest in keeping African identity at the core in the work that you do. Uh, yeah, yeah, I um, enjoyed reflecting on that um, part of my growth as I was writing this. Um, it just took me back to a place and thoughts that I hadn't had for a while. And um, I mean, as you're aware, the whole colorism dynamic that exists with, within the African-American community in general, as, as a child, you know, you just, um, I had my grandfather who, as I said in the essay, was this six foot, three inch, six foot, two inch, dark skin, Afro-Jamaican uh, uh, black man. And I, and I had my fathers and uncles. And so all of them were, were relatively dark skinned people, but it was just, you know, the context of the world that we lived in where, where uh, dark skin lacked the appreciation that I think it has now uh, to some degree or another um over as over and opposed to uh light skin color and so i um i identify with um uh, lee majors the bionic man um i i wrote him uh letters actually <laughs> um that i wish i could have included in here and he sent back autographed pictures to me wrote them twice and he sent back autographed pictures um so i th that was you know I, I don't know if it was so much just you know him as much as it was the bionic man and the incredible skills that he had of but course. you know we, there were we just lacked those sort of images when i was growing up um for the most part they would there would be um um athletes who one could identi identify with but um so it, it impacted me i went to i was a part of the original desegregation program here in st louis and so um that had an impact on 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 how i was seeing myself um, eventually went on to high school and under the same circumstances. And it was just a matter of, uh, you know, having at some point, uh, I can remember having a conversation with my mother when she realized that my writing to Lee Majors had a little bit more to do with just liking the Bionic Man and it had more to do with uh, a disappreciation of my own physical features. And so we just, we had a conversation and my father about, you know, what that meant. And they didn't discourage me from liking, you know, the Bionic Man, but they wanted me to appreciate um, um, my, my my skin color and my heritage and uh, all those things that were reflected in it. And so it, it, you know, I didn't really come to terms, to be quite honest with that, until I was uh, in high school. Yeah, um, you mentioned senior year as yeah. a sort of maybe a bit of a turning point. Yes. Yeah. Um, I discovered social activism, really um th uh, through an appreciation of really Malcolm X and Martin Luther King primarily and and it was through through them that I started to to really read more about African history uh black history and uh that was really um a, a turning point for me I I couldn't um when I was a, a a senior in a history class one of our assignments was to um we're looking at uh the period in american history where where uh eastern europeans and southern europeans were coming into uh the united states and one of the assignments was to go back and trace our history as far back as we could possibly go 
And um, uh, that was a profound experience because I was one of only three black people in the class. And the other person was actually, she was from South Africa. Um, and she, unlike myself and another classmate who, were, who was a black person, could trace her roots back all the way to the 1700s. Um, it was amazing to hear her do it. Um, and the, my other friend who was in the class with me, we we had no idea beyond our grandparents, really. Mm-hmm. And that was that was really profound for me. It stuck with me um, and pushed me on to the future. <laughs> yeah. So so taking that forward. Tell us how you've been able to center African heritage and culture in your work with youth and, and why this has become so important. Um, those, those experiences, um, I think even though there's a, uh, a greater appreciation for, uh, um, African heritage and, and history among people of color, it still lacks the sort of appreciation that I think that would make the difference in how kids perform in formal settings. Um, and so, what we try to do in our relationships with um, the schools where we have our our OST programming, um, and we have it in like probably the second largest district in St. Louis, um, and then other surrounding districts, we we try to bring that dimension of culture uh, into the space because in 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 all of those spaces, ninety eight percent of the kids, if not more. Uh, of African descent. And so uh, we, we try to bring that dimension of, of culture in the space that, that really focuses on affirming their identity, giving, us, giving them a strong sense of belonging to the space, emphasizing uh, what we see as cultural assets that they bring into the space that may not be emphasized, um, but helping them to see the fact that they uh, oftentimes think extemporaneously improvising on things at the spur of a moment that 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 that's not necessarily a bad thing it just needs to be appropriate to the time and space and recognizing that and how to utilize it as an advantage um and just bringing bringing the the differences into the space that become assets in the space we try to emphasize that with them we try we 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 take our our youth specialists through trainings around African personality and African identity, uh, what we see as the as the uh, strong supports um, that will help kids um, uh, in a space. You know, there's a lot of conversation about trauma-informed approach. And we feel like we've been utilizing that for years, that we've recognized for years that there has that the experience of black people in America has for some to some degree either been traumatizing. And so that there's a, a, a kind of healing that has to take place. One of my mentors says that what we never did was took the time to actually look at that experience and begin to talk about what we need to do to heal from it. Um, and I think that a lot of the issues that we see within our community is the residue of that and not being resolved. And so we try to address that while at the same time, um, you know, not problem, problematizing it in such a way that it becomes a crutch that we, we wanted to be a strong foundation. Terrence, talk about the Harambee circle and other things that you mentioned that are ways that you bring language and movement and culture into your programming. 
Oh, absolutely. So, so the Harambe is 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 a Kiswahili word, which means uh, "let's come together." So, one of the cultural dimensions is is to use Kiswahili terms, and not just Kiswahili, really. Um, Kiswahili. Um, we use some terms from uh, West Africa, from Ghana, uh, but mostly Kiswahili. Um, and what the the idea is that there is a cultural unity among. Uh, um, African descended people, there's a, a common thread that runs but, uh, throughout it, and, and there's this idea of unity and wholeness. And so the, the Harambe Circle starts each each program every day with with uh, a check in. Uh, it, it 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 brings everybody into the circle. It, it could be twenty kids or a hundred kids, and they might be smaller circles, but they all come into these circles. Uh, just to check in at the beginning of the day, and somebody offers, um, uh, they do they do a chant uh, around the Harambe circle, and uh, it really starts off with asking how you're feeling, and they say feeling good, how you're feeling, feeling great, get embedded every day, and so then somebody will offer a, a positive thought, and then it builds from there, and, and it just kind of, you know, that, that may go on, sometimes depends on the, the rhythm of the day, it may go on two minutes or, or it may go on another 10 minutes. It depends on the kids. We kind of let them lead it. Um, and, and, and then there's a chant that goes with it. So that's really just meant to emphasize uh, the community and, and to check on everybody to make sure everybody had a good day. And, uh, and it ends the same way. Uh, so it begins that way and it ends that way to reflect on what they did that afternoon. Somebody might've had some thoughts, uh, might've want to share something uh, good about what they they did in the activities that day, and so um, that 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 Harambe and the language, the Kiswahili language, emphasizes a cultural element there. It sounds also like youth have opportunities to study African symbols, to yes. make visits to historical sites, etc. So it sounds like there are multiple strategies that you have in place that are that are working towards creating this African identity as as central. One of the questions I wanted to ask you was, are there ways that you have felt that the work that you do and centering African culture and heritage has had an impact on the youth that you serve? Oh, yeah, I appreciate that question. Because um, what I want to be my legacy, um, particularly here at um, Better Family Life, um, is establishing um, a concrete form of assessment um, that sort of brings together the quantitative data points that we need, as well as sort of the qualitative stuff that I think is harder to measure, but is, uh, for as I can tell, clearly as impactful. Um, so, we emphasize a great deal at this point on their daily performances and putting them in position to demonstrate to us what they're learning. Because um, one of one of the tenets of, of, of the African-centered approach is, is that there's a lot of movement that's associated with how uh, our kids learn and express themselves. And so uh, there's a there's a great deal of that going on in the after school setting, right? I have to make sure that they're that they're that they're, they're up and moving around, and that they have as much time to move around as they do sitting. 
Um, so we emphasize uh, them being put in positions to perform uh, and demonstrate the skills that they're learning in a performative sort of fashion, as well as we have developed uh, some small in instruments that uh, it's not as uh, scientific as, as I would like for them to be, although in recent years, we have a partnership with Washington University here in the Brown School, um, and they are helping us. They have uh, probably three, four years ago, they helped us develop a tool to measure uh, our programs. It's actually been measured also, I should say, by the um, um, State of Missouri and the Menendez Foundation. So we, we have been able to pull together uh, some data to, to look at and determine how effective it is. But I think above all of that is we've been able to, to really grow our own. So right now there are probably uh, six, seven, six people now. And I know within the last uh, 10 years, uh, there have been at least 12 people who actually started off in our programs when they were four and five, gone through high school, graduated college and come back to work in our programs. We have a very unique uh, set of circumstances where uh, we can hire people to put to as full-time employees and they will spend um the morning hours of their day in our in-school programs and then transition from the in-school programs into our out-of-school programs our after-school programs um uh, that that's i've found that it's very unique among ost programs as i've talked to other people um and so a lot of those people that that who are working those programs actually grew up in our programs. And so when it comes to training them, um, the approach is a little different because now they're adults and they're employees, but the core concepts they're familiar with because they lived it. Um, and so all we're doing now is really sort of polishing it up and enhancing it as professionals who are delivering it, these same things that they learned. And so for me, that's one of the, uh, the clearest examples of how effective it is because um, they want to come back and do it because of how impactful it was on them. And um, that, that to me is, um, I, to see them every day when I walk into the office, it's, uh, uh, you know, it just warms your heart because you, you, you know where they came from. And um, it, 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 it suggests a very promising model as we, as we move into the future. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that, Terrence. Terrence, I wondered if you would um, read the last part of your essay. For us all. I wholeheartedly believe that OST programs provide a unique space for alternatives to mainstream approaches to cultivating life-sustaining practices in the lives of our Black youth. I believe that all meaningful engagement with youth is artistic in nature. Like great artists, we provide a canvas for youth's own stories and emotional ideas to be expressed. It requires flexibility and attention to technique from well-intentioned adults. My grandfather used open-handed honesty, straightforward truth, airtight logic, common sense, and an attentive ear to solidify connection. He seemed to intuitively understand that most of us are not only crossing bridges over troubled waters, but are in fact traversing across troubled bridges of despair. For those of us who work in urban communities among a population of African descended youth, 
Nothing is more vital for our youth than to be fully engaged in the advancement of a healthy healing identity. Parents, thank you so much for sharing your story today and sharing sharing your story of your grandfather also and the important things that, that he passed on to you, which you have now passed on to so many youth as part of your OS2 work. The book, The Heartbeat of the Youth Development Field, which includes Terrence's essay and many others, along with research chapters focused on journeys into the youth fields, relationship building and connection and transformation is available at www.nios.org. This is Georgia Hall from the National Institute of Out of School Time at Wellesley College, and I wish you well.